0: Okay, gentlemen, the 80s would have us believe that every kid is destined to go into camp and they may not make it out alive. In fact, some of us may have died there. (laughs) Do you guys have any camp stories or did you attend camp for any reason when you were a kid?
1: Uh, I never attended any kind of like sleepaway camp. I kind of wish I did. It seems like it was a fun experience based on uh, all the 80s movies uh, as well as Nickelodeon TV shows based around camps fun experience it was lord of the flies dude (laughs) uh yeah so i only went to like daytime summer camp but i did manage to break my arm there so i'll say that even the daytime version had its own risks and very little reward because i barely remember
0: it well there you go man like you we have a, a real life account of just how dangerous camp could be i can't believe our parents continually shipped us off to this place Especially when apparently murders were running rampant.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I could blame the camp though.
0: Mark, did did you go to did you go to camp? I kind of went to camp. Um, it it wasn't it was it was school associated though, right? So in seventh grade, uh, we could pay to go to what was called H E B camp. Now H E B is the Texas grocery chain, which I swear my fealty and loyalty to. I would die for H E B. Um, when people are chanting USA, I'm normally chanting HEB, just so you know where we stand. <laughs>
1: Can I guess what HEB camp was? Because we didn't have this uh, in New York where I grew up. There was no like A and P camp that I'm aware of. Uh, Shoprite camp,
0: True Value camp. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, here's what I imagine: they they bring you into a super HEB, which they've closed for the summer. And you all just have to pretend to be working at H E B. So there's, you know, some kids who are the managers, some kids are the stock, you know, <laughs> stock people, and uh, and that's the the premise of the camp for six weeks or however long it is. You are, it's like space camp for grocery stores.
2: It immediately becomes the prince, the Princeton prison experiment, or whatever that like prison experiment was they did in that college. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we're grooming junior cashiers. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it was called H-E-B camp because the, uh, I believe it is the Butts family. I think that's the B. I can't remember the H and E currently. Howard Edward Butts, maybe? I, f- I forget. But
1: I thought Herbert was in there. I feel like it was a Herbert Butts situation.
0: Yeah, it's like Herbert Butts. Old Herbie Butts's family owned a uh, campground. So my school had made a deal that every single year... The kids who uh, maintain good grades, you could go and attend this HEB camp for a week. And the camp counselors were going to be select high school students, and there were teachers there as the main counselors. And we spent the whole week there kayaking, uh, playing volleyball, going swimming in this river. Uh, It's off the Frio River in Texas. Super cold water. uh, And we did go do kind of like the movie we're going to talk about. The campers leave camp and go camp outside under the stars. We actually did that too. And uh, yeah, it was a a great time. Got sunburned. I've never been sunburned on my lips before that. And that was awful. Ouch. We had mess hall duty. So every cabin had to go and clean the mess hall and serve food uh, and and so forth. Um, So yeah, it was a great experience actually.
2: Well, we grew up poor <laughs> and camp was expensive and we did not get to go to camp. The only camp I got to go to was a vacation Bible camp, which was the church behind my house because my mom needed a babysitter for a week
0: <laughs> when we were kids. Jesus will watch them. Yeah,
2: they don't really take the wheel, Jesus. Um, They don't really appreciate you questioning what they tell you. Um, I learned that at an early age. Um, so that's the only, like, closest thing I ever went to a camp. It was not sleep away by any means. It was go there for a couple hours during the day and then come back home and go back to being a Lashki kid. So, you know, living the dream, I guess.
1: Garrett, you just dug out a repressed memory of mine. (laughs) I had pushed this very, I can't believe I forgot about this. I pushed this very deep into my soul. When I was, I don't know, 13, however old one is when they do this. So I grew up Catholic, and you go through all these different uh, sacraments, you know, so you're baptized, communion, confirmation. And before confirmation, we had to go to some, like, Catholic camp for a weekend.
2: Well, I'm glad that I was able to bubble that back to the surface.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I barely remember it except It was like arts and crafts, of course, all Jesus and and Christianity-related arts and craft activity, Uh, lots of Bible reading and breakouts. Oh, my God. I pushed that one deep down inside. I hope I forget it again.
0: John's going to need to have a sit down. (laughs) The listeners may have picked up by now that I was raised very religious. We didn't have vacation Bible camp. We had vacation Bible school during the summer, which was a full week of learning about the same stuff I learned every Sunday, but now we had to do it every single day and it made no sense to me. Um, And then they'd make you finger paint and do garbage art projects. Um, I did that enough times and was old enough at some point that I got to be one of the people running one of the classes. Oh shit. I got to teach the finger painting shit where you'd take uh, the project. I remember is we were making homemade tambourines, (laughs) so you take paper plates and a bag of dried pinto beans And you would put the beans between two plates and glue them together. And then you would paint your own little whatever tambourine thing. And then you could shake your bean tambourine around. That's the kind of shit church is teaching your kids
2: we did the same exact thing ours was called camp it wasn't called school but yes no we did that it was basically the same exact damn thing i remember those stupid little like bean tambourine plates (laughs) and i was just like i was like what do we do with these when we're done they're just like what do you mean i was like what do we do with these when we're done they're just like they're yours and i was like okay (laughs) i threw mine in the trash like if you're not going to take this seriously and i was like i'm here because i have to be (laughs) I was like, "Come on, man!" Yeah.
0: What you don't know is it, it uh, Leviticus thirty-seven seventeen has the blueprints for the bean tambourine. You just <laughs> open your Bible to that page, and it tells you how to make them. Mark,
1: when you made it, you crossed the threshold and were a counselor. Uh, when you moved on up to the east side, did you have to pull some? you know rough kid aside and be like look when i was your age i was going through some hard times too i got sent home from camp you know you tried to speak to them relate to them while you're building your bean tambourines
0: no it was more for the suburbanite crowd if you will
1: Sure, no muscle share kids is what you're saying
0: no definitely not no new yorkers no boys from new jersey uh just your straight shooting uh mid-90s white kids me and john show up with our
2: sleeves cut off and we're like what is this jesus camp and mark's like hey guys i know what you're thinking i used to be like you
0: (laughs) i used to cut off my sleeves too well let me tell
2: you something fuck you i will keep cutting off my sleeves (laughs) sleeveless for life baby
0: Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark, again joined with Garrett and John. Guys, another Saturday's come. We're recording again. How are we doing? I'm doing fantastic.
1: Hanging in there.
0: Good. Glad to hear it. Well, before we jump into our summer camp movie in October, what have you guys been up to? John, did you watch any movies?
1: No. But I watched the first season of a TV show, so it's kind of like a movie. Uh,. I watched the first season of the Exorcist TV show, finally, all the way through, better than I expected. And I'm going to watch a second season and then do a quickie on it. So I'm not going to go into too much detail. But uh, for being on network TV, it was actually pretty impressive.
2: Oh, was that a network TV one?
1: Uh, yeah, it was on NBC, ABC, one of the BCs.
0: UNP. UPN. That's what it was called. U- <laughs> <laughs> UNP. Oh, my God. The knockoff UPN.
1: <laughs> Uh, oh, I did watch, it, and it was a horror film in its own kind of impressive way. The Borat subsequent movie film, uh, it showed the horror, or the the horat, the horror of reality.
2: That was actually really good. I was I was very skeptical. I was like, okay, well, he's he's a pretty good comedian. Let's see what he can do with the sequel to this movie that really shouldn't need one. I was very impressed. There was some writing in that that I was like, wow, you deserve the accolades you get. That dude is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh,
0: It was nice to have something uh, new to watch this year after the mountains of delays. So getting to watch an actual movie was nice. Like, oh, this is is new? You mean it's not coming out next year?
1: Yeah. And I lied. Sorry. I lied to all our listeners. Letterboxd reminded me that I watched Sleepy Hollow. It was fine. (laughs)
2: Have you never seen it before? I actually
1: really enjoy Sleepy Hollow. I think I saw it a couple years ago, but I mostly forgot about it. It was way better than I expected, and I loved the atmosphere of the film. Uh, I, I mean, Tim Burton knows how to create impressive universes. The story was a little much, but overall, yeah, it was fine. Yeah,
2: I really enjoyed that one. That's that's definitely one of those ones that you know, just the much like Beetlejuice, the the feel and the the like you said, the atmosphere that uh, Burton's created in that film is just perfect it does such an amazing job of setting the um just the the entire pace and like you know like visual expectations of it
1: yeah it did make me miss fall up north i mean it's never i've never seen it be that foggy in real life but (laughs) just that whole atmosphere of where you know it's not 80 degrees for example so it did it was a good october watch
0: i would go on to say uh that is probably the last tim burton film i liked
1: all i remember him doing after that is alice in wonderland films and i didn't really like either of those so uh i'd agree
2: willy wonka
1: oh wonka yeah. Mm.
2: He also did uh The Corpse Bride, which I really enjoyed quite a bit.
1: Oh, Corpse Bride was good. He directed that or was it like another Tim Burton produced kind of thing?
2: I think I think he um I think he wrote, I don't know if he directed it, but I know he wrote and kind okay. of like um did a lot of it
0: on it.
1: Then Corpse Bride, I would agree with Garrett, that one was good.
0: Okay. He did direct that. I'll give him that one. But his uh his animated projects are normally pretty spot on, so I actually forgot that was a Tim Burton one. So, okay. I'll go ahead and say that was the last one then. Big Fish was good. I enjoyed Big Fish quite a bit also.
1: Oh, yeah. That is true. Okay. I can't agree with you, Mark. The more I think of Tim Burton films or get reminded of them, <laughs> I like them. Big Fish, amazing film and a uh, really emotional one. That one's a good one.
0: Well, Big Fish came out before Corpse Bride. So I get to stand by my last statement. So <laughs> <laughs> We'll update it until it changes. Right. Um, I don't have any movies to talk about, but I did want to bring up that um, I believe at some point we mentioned that HBO was making a Hellraiser television show. I don't know if we actually said it on the podcast or if we just tweeted it. Fuck you, Mark. You're taking all my my things I had to talk about today. All right.
2: Take it. Go for it. (laughs) No, no. Go ahead, dude. I got some other stuff. (laughs) Okay.
0: Garrett wanted to break the news. Uh, As of today, it uh, was reported on Bloody Disgusting that Clive uh, Borker... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Clive Barker is going to be uh, producing the show. So he's on board. Um, this one, if you didn't realize, had David Gordon Green from Halloween Kills. Um, it was written by Michael Doherty of Trick or Treat and Godzilla King of Monsters. And it also has Mark Berheiden. Um, As you have heard us mentioned on our Worst in Show block of episodes earlier this year, The Hellraiser franchise has been a mess for many, many years, and they keep using recycled Hollywood scripts. So I'm really excited to see what we can do with this property when we actually write it to the Hellraiser lore itself.
2: Yeah. And after seeing what they did with Lovecraft Country, um, I'm not all the way through season one yet, but I'm actually about halfway through. Um, After seeing what they've done with Lovecraft Country, I feel that HBO actually is going to give us a pretty dark, pretty messed up Hellraiser um, series. So I'm I'm actually very excited about this, too. Yeah.
0: I need to wrap up Lovecraft Country, too. I think I got about halfway through as well. Um, pretty enjoyable.
2: Yeah. Everyone that I've talked to is just... They're like, when it gets to the end, they're like, dude, this is this is the series. Like I don't normally... There's so many series. It takes a lot to convince me to actually watch a series or show. I still haven't even seen The Mandalorian. Wow. I got convinced to check out uh, Lovecraft Country about halfway through. And let me tell you, it's been great so far i'm really stoked with what they're doing um and i just hear that it actually it keeps going great and then it ends like just bam like totally worth it
1: garrett i thought i had my fomo under control i don't really care if i'm not involved or watching things but the fact that you're not you haven't seen the mandalorian makes me realize that uh i don't that's incredible that you've resisted that peer pressure because i would have i caved. that move that show awesome
2: I hear it's great, and I it's got Werner Herzog in it. I'm like, I'm on board for what it supposedly is, but it takes so much for get to get me to like invest the time into a show, especially if you come in with the show. It's like oh, it's like five or six seasons long. You pretty much lost me there. Like you got to get me within the first two seasons, or else I'm just not going to usually get on board. I, I want to watch it. I plan to eventually, sometime, hopefully watch it. But right now, it's definitely not um, the time I have. Doesn't go towards that. It goes towards the things you know, like Lovecraft Country.
1: Fair enough. But you heard it here first. He plans to eventually somewhat watch it.
0: <laughs> you better start this season because season two just kicked off as of like, what, Friday? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Um, I won't get into it, but The Mandalorian has kept my enjoyment of Star Wars alive when the movies have failed. So I'm really happy that show
2: exists. Oh, here we go.
0: No, I said I wasn't getting into it. I, <laughs> I know, I, I know,
2: I know. Mark, what else you got for us? Because I got a couple things.
0: That's all for me. What do you got?
2: Okay, so they just announced yesterday also that Jordan Peele is set to produce a remake of The People Under the Stairs.
0: Oh, okay. That's a good one. Stephen King movie, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I believe that is a Stephen King property, and um, I'm interested to see what he's going to do with it. Um, I have not seen it, by all, but all accounts of the people I like was talking to about it when I told him I just saw this. Uh, They're like, wow, that movie is actually pretty creepy. So I'm excited to see what he does with that. And then in completely like Garrett news, just because I've got to talk about it. Evidently, Bloody Disgusting reports that Nicolas Cage battles evil animatronics next year in Willy's Wonderland. And I'm sorry, I cannot imagine anything in my head better right now than Nicolas Cage going crazy on animatronics. So I'm completely excited to see what that's all about.
0: Sounds like Five Nights at Freddy's, the movie or something. But with Cage. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I'm, I am I, think it's going to be great just based on what you said.
1: Yeah. We're going through a bit of a, a Cage renaissance, I feel like, with you know Mandy, Colorado Space, and hopefully this movie. Uh, so just bangers. Yeah. I mean, honestly, since...
2: I mean, it's hard to think of a bad... I mean, okay. Hold on. Let me rephrase that. I almost said it's hard to think of a bad Nick Cage movie. <laughs> There's been a lot of bad Nick Cage movies. But I can't think of a Nick Cage movie where I'm just like, oh... Okay, Snake Eyes. I take that back. That's the only one that I can actually be like, eh, I could take or leave Cage in that movie.
1: Weren't there some pretty bad National Treasure sequels? The second one was
2: actually enjoyable. I don't know if they've made a third one or not, but I actually thought the second one was pretty good.
0: Okay. What about that one where he's like a sorcerer's apprentice or something?
2: Oh, that movie is fucking insane. Like that one's so bad. It's good. (laughs)
0: Like
2: the movies are trash, but Cage in them just, oh, there's something about that guy. He can just spin gold out of anything. But uh, yeah, no. So I read about that. And I just like had to share it with everyone because again, my weird love of crazy Nick Cage movies. So and today let's point out for our listeners. I know you're not going to get this on the same day, but today is Halloween while we record this. So retroactively go back and listen to the Monster Mash for us. Build a time machine. Go back in time. If you didn't listen to Monster Mash on Halloween, you fucked up. Number one. Number two, go back in time and do it. Number three, happy Halloween, all you crazy motherfuckers. I, I love this holiday so much. I'm so excited. And I, we can talk about a dope movie, too. Man, this is like everything's coming up <laughs>
0: Uh
1: Yeah, We're ta- we'll talk about a movie, that's for sure. <laughs> but also, happy Halloween.
0: Yes, happy Halloween from us at the Grave Talk. Uh, Garrett, quick question about the Monster Mash. Is the entire album worth listening to? No, it's trash.
2: <laughs> the Monster Swim, not great. The Monster Rap, even worse. Um, there was the sequel, the direct sequel to the Monster Mash, Monster Party, or Mad, Mad Monster Party, I think is what it was called. Um, still kind of good, but just, you know, there's just some things that just can't be touched. And unfortunately, the Monster Mash is on that pedestal. I mean, you can, you can, it's the Tower of Babel. It's just so high up there. We're just never getting to it.
0: I'm pretty sure that man's estate's going to have to start paying you for all the advertisement you've done for them. I, I might I, I might be on the MASH payroll. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs>
1: Big monsters got into them.
0: <laughs> well, let's get in today's movie. It's going to be The Burning from 1981.
1: Yeah, let's point out, though, that this
2: actually was a listener-submitted request for our podcast. Um, I had never even heard of The Burning before this. So thank you so much. Whoever you are out there listening... Thank you for recommending this one because I am so excited to talk about this movie.
0: I'm so excited! Right out of the gate, I think we need to just kind of address who wrote this movie. Um, John brought this to my attention after I'd already started the film, but this one has a writing credit for Harvey Weinstein.
2: Yeah, no, that jumped out real quick too. It was like, oh, Harvey Weinstein helped write this one. Yeah,
0: apparently this was his breakout into the industry uh, from what I can tell. He had been wanting to get into the movies for a long time, and then after the success of Chainsaw and Halloween and some of these more low-budget things, he decided to write himself a story, kind of in the same vein, but encompassing urban legend called the Cropsey Maniac, and I hadn't heard of this urban legend until I looked into it for this episode. Obviously, we don't condone anything that Harvey Weinstein has done. That man is a monster, and unfortunately... That kind of marred my viewing experience of a couple of the characters who were, seemed very Weinstein-esque.
1: Yeah, there were like whole scenes that I was like, oof. I mean, they were uncomfortable no matter what, but knowing that this guy wrote them, it's like, oh, this is really like terrible. Yes.
2: Yeah, there was definitely scenes then, like, and knowing what we know now, it, it took on a whole different... Like, if, if I had never seen his name on this... I would have been like, oh, this is just right up 80s horror alley. Okay, no big deal. Like, I would not have thought twice about it, but just knowing that like, like now knowing what we know, it definitely did pepper like those scenes differently than um, than I think they would have if I had no idea. And that's, that's kind of unfortunate. Just, God, people, don't be fucking monsters and dickheads. Just be cool for the love of God. Don't fuck things up for us because this movie is great. I love this fucking movie. I'm just gonna get that out of the way. But yeah, no, it's definitely a little hard to sort of reconcile some of those scenes, knowing what we know.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna give all our listeners a little grave talk tip. I'm gonna paraphrase from The Office: If you're gonna do something, ask yourself, would an asshole do this? And if you th- say yes, just don't do it. Problem solved. Then uh, you will avoid being an asshole. It's true.
0: It's true. Or as I taught my students in Vacation Bible School, what would Jesus do? <laughs> just saying. that (laughs) (laughs) Um, no so yeah this this unfortunately puts this movie into a situation where the individual viewer is going to have to decide if they can separate the art from the artist it's the Michael Jackson situation it's the uh, I mean how many times have we had to go through this over the last 20 years you know of all this stuff coming out about creators Bill Cosby um, Kevin Spacey like just all these people of you know that were considered to be you know, top of their game in, in, in their professions. And now it's like, well, I don't even know if I feel comfortable watching your stuff anymore.
2: Look, power corrupts sometimes. I mean that you got to be careful, man. It's it's a tightrope act. Yeah.
0: But one of the things I fall back on, on projects like movies, you know, it's not just one person that makes the movie happen. There's hundreds of people in some cases, Uh, maybe a low budget one like this maybe a dozen to you know 50 people might have worked on this everybody that makes the effects the actors the producers well um he was a producer as well but you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um you know all these people that didn't do anything bad now that they are they're marred by that as well and i think they still deserve to have their art viewed by future audiences
2: well yeah i mean and and to be fair too like and this is not this is not justifying anything by any means but you know like this was when he was first getting in the industry like who knows if this kind of behavior was happening until he became as powerful as he was, you know?
1: Unfortunately, Garrett, it was. Was it? There is reports from this movie, this very movie. Uh, oh, Jesus. One of the production assistants said he, like, opened the, invited her over and opened the door just in his towel and tried to get her, and then dropped the towel and, like, tried to get her to stay. Oh, and God. I'm probably butchering the story, but that's the general gist of it. Oh, yeah, and he asked for a massage. Uh, she refused and left, and then apparently he harassed her about the incident. Throughout the rest of the film's production, so he's been a dick since day one.
2: Fantastic, thanks a lot, fuckface, for ruining it for everybody. <laughs> God, <laughs> okay, well, let's just let's at least try to we'll, we'll 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 Rosemary's Baby this thing, and we'll we'll try to focus on just the the movie itself as a as a film, and not anything associated around it. And as Mark said, you know, it's completely up to you. To um, your your comfort level with separating the art from the artist. Um, again, I don't think you should just dismiss behavior because of that kind of thing. But for this for this podcast, let's try to just focus on the movie itself.
0: Right. So we've acknowledged it, and we're we're uh, you know we know about it. We don't like it. We definitely don't like it. And uh, we're just going to try to talk about this this art as it sounds. That perhaps John ain't too into this art. John, what do you think of this movie?
1: Um. Okay. I I mean I did like it. It was a fun movie. But man, there uh there was just some so much of it where I was confused and things don't make a lot of sense and uh I mean even aside from what we just talked about, there is some just over the top gratuitous nudity in this movie uh that doesn't really make any sense. Uh I don't know. It was a fine movie. I don't want to say I hate it because I've seen bad movies. This is not that. But uh, I would rather watch like a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Jason movie over this any day.
0: Yeah. I don't think this one's going to be your A tier camp movie, but I'd call it a B or low. It's like a C plus. Yeah. Right. Like if you're into camp movies, I think this one does the job. You've got your campers. You got your killins, You got your maniacs. I mean, it's that formula. I, I would recommend it if you've already kind of watched the other big camp movies.
1: Yeah, I will say I'll, I'll put this movie in the B tier because George Costanza is in it and he puts that movie in his ba- on his back and carries it out of the C tier to the B
2: tier. <laughs> Mark's going to get into it, I'm sure. But this movie is packed with actors. Fisher Stevens mm-hmm. is in this. Jason Alexander Um, that dude from Law & Order, Lee or Ned um, Eisen, whatever. Oh, man, I can't remember his name, but that guy is fucking amazing. I mean, this movie's got tons of people in it.
1: Yeah. Now, I know the actor's called Jason Alexander, but uh, that's his name. But he's just playing George, like 15 years, 10 years before George Costanza existed. I just, now I know some George Costanza backstory. Exactly. He's just playing that character.
0: This one was directed by Tony Malam. Uh, this one stars Brian Matthews as Todd, Leah Ayers as Michelle, Brian Backer as Alfred, Larry Joshua as Glazer, Jason Alexander as Dave, Ned Eisenberg as Eddie, Carrick Glenn as Sally, Carolyn Houlihan as Karen, Fisher Stevens as Woodstock, Lou David as Cropsy, Shelly Bruce as Tiger, and Holly Hunter as Sophie. And there's probably another 75 names I could read, but that's already enough. This one has an 80% with the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which I actually found to be a little surprising. That's That's a bit high, I felt but there was only 10 ratings. Now, uh, the audience scores a little more in view of what I thought I would see. 61% out of 6,575.
1: Yeah, that feels about right.
0: Uh just to get it out of the way, John, did this soundtrack slap?
1: Oh, yeah. That is my like fourth note soundtrack slaps.
0: <laughs> okay, good. No, it
2: didn't. No, it didn't.
1: Mm, uh, I gotta tell you, as someone who knows about slapping soundtracks, this one uh, slapped for me, at least. Wasn't it Rick
2: Wakeman, or who who did this soundtrack? It was someone from, like, a famous band.
0: Yes, you're right. It's Rick Wakeman from the band Yes. John, have you heard of Yes?
1: Uh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're also famous. Uh, you can look them up on your own time, though.
1: I probably won't, uh, but good to know that they're famous. <laughs>
0: It was an okay soundtrack.
2: It just it was like it was just trying very hard to kind of have a um a Friday the 13th kind of, you know, or Manfredi or Manfredy or whatever his last name is. I'm, I I apologize. We all know I'm terrible with names. I'll
0: help you. It's Manfredini.
2: Manfredini. There we go. Um it was you could tell it was kind of going for a little of that, but it also had like a little bit of a um as some of the people pointed out that I was watching with have a little bit John Carpenter kind of like thum 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 like kind of the thing sound to it again i don't know i don't say i wouldn't say it's bad but there's a lot of like heavy like i'm just gonna push this synth button right here for a long time and i was like okay bro but just tone it down a little bit
1: i was like yeah you hold that button down
0: (laughs) (laughs) hold that shit my favorite part of the soundtrack is when the flamethrower controlled the organ that was playing
1: yep awesome
2: Are we not going to point out that one of the people who executive produced this movie was Corky Burger? <laughs> did you guys see that name? I did not. Corky Burger. I'm not I'm not trying to sound like I'm making fun of this dude's name, but that is one of those names that you hear and you're just like, no, that can't be real. And then it's like, holy shit, that's awesome. That's just so bizarre. Like... Man, I, I loved that name. I kept popping up too in the credits. I was like, "God, you own that shit, dude."
1: If you told me that was like the Adam Smithy of producers, I would have totally believed it. Like, mm, we just use Corky's name, and we don't, you know, and the real producer doesn't want to be uh, acknowledged.
0: His only other production credit is the Secret Policeman's Other Ball. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Classic, 1982.
1: <laughs> oh, the Secret. Po- okay uh i'll put that on the list
0: oh that's a rowan atkinson movie that's a mr bean film wow
1: mr bean in the secret policeman's other ball (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) he got paid by the letter (laughs) wow the things you find out when you go down these imdb holes all right well here's what the back of the vhs box has to say about the burning On a moonlit evening many years ago, a group of young campers played a trick on Cropsey, the camp caretaker. The trick backfired, and Cropsey became a horribly disfigured maniac, a mutilated killer with a thirst for revenge. This is the terrifying account of Cropsey's return and the trail of blood he leaves in the dark woods. Wow. I like that. That's actually pretty concise.
1: I feel like they could have done something with that backfired. There is a pun in there somewhere, but overall... uh. Yeah, I, I, I like this one. Yeah, we need to get that
2: guy
0: a job at Shutter. Yeah, tell, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um, so again, this is a summer camp movie that cropped up in the middle of the summer camp boom season, um, which I believe kicked off with Friday the 13th in 1980. This one came out in 81. We had Madman in 82. And then we had Sleepaway Camp in 83 are there any other camp movies you guys can think of that we need to bring up? Whitewater summer with
2: Kevin Bacon and Sean Astin, um, uh, space camp. Um, man, I could keep going. Um, uh,
1: <laughs> salute my shorts or salute your shorts. <laughs>
2: hey salute my shorts would you <laughs> that was the 90s and that was on Nickelodeon or Nickelodeon right yeah
1: it was on Nickelodeon it was the 90s but it might have been early 90s in that 90s 80s crossover time
2: okay all right all right I'll I'll allow it I'll allow it <laughs> um but yeah no this this was definitely during that that camp craze
1: whoa. Salute Your Shorts, a major part of my childhood, aired for exactly one year, and then they just milked that for reruns all the way until 1999. (laughs) It aired from 1991 to 1992, and they were like, all right, that's good enough. Put this in syndication.
0: Wow, that's crazy. I remember the uh, Salute Your Shorts episode with Zeke the Plumber.
1: (gasps) Yeah. That one was scary.
0: Where the maniac was going around uh, scaring all the kids.
2: Okay, then we'll count it. At this point, it falls
0: into the category. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to bring up Heavyweights. Of course. Yes, yes. Might be my favorite camp movie of all time. Ernest Goes to Camp. Yeah, I can't forget that one.
2: Oh, the, camp was a go- the 80s were a golden age for camp
0: movies. Yeah, here's a few that I hadn't seen that came up when I was doing research. Uh, Twisted Nightmare from 87, Cheerleader Camp, in 88, and Moonstalker from 89. Do you guys see any of those? No. What about Adam's Family Values? No, that doesn't count. They go to camp in that movie. No,
2: they just go to camp. That's just a set piece. (laughs) That's not a camp-based movie. Sorry, Mark. You're getting vetoed on that one.
0: All right, fine. Well, anyway, as you can tell, camp was a big deal, and kids were dying left and right, and (laughs) uh, they just kept letting them go.
1: I wonder what the mortality rate for camps were. Had to be 40, 50, 60% in some years.
2: I don't know. Sleepaway camp would have us know that most of those mur- murders were covered up and we never knew about them. So it's hard to tell.
1: You know, you look at 10 kids, six of y'all ain't coming home. Sorry. <laughs> I do
2: want to point out for all of our listeners, though, in case you listen to this episode and you're like, holy crap, the burning. I got to get in on that. Um this movie is not available anywhere except for YouTube. Um it's you cannot find this and immediately I thought I was like okay is this because of the Weinstein connection? Is this because of one of the famous actors who doesn't want this movie getting out ever again? Um I like I immediately went on this like conspiracy theory like Mindset of like, okay, who's preventing this movie from being available anywhere? Because I thought this was actually a really good, you know, 80s horror movie. But yeah, you can't find it anywhere. And the the YouTube copy at the beginning was so quiet, I could barely hear the campers.
0: I think it was available up to like a month or two ago, Garrett, because I think it was in my queue on one of the streaming services. So I think this is just a recent development. Uh, but yeah, I was wondering that too. Is like, is it the Weinstein thing or something else?
1: I, I remember seeing the poster in on some service, but you know, word got out that we were going to do a deep dive and they're like, bring it down.
2: <laughs> Take it down. Can't let
1: those Grave Talk boys look at this.
2: <laughs> we Dim Grave Talk boys. We got to put a stop to this. Also- you, Mark, you mentioned earlier that this deals with the, uh, the Cropsy, like urban legend kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I was not super familiar with this until I actually watched a documentary called Cropsey. And I think it was on Netflix or Hulu. It was one of the two. Um, but it's about like an old mental institution and like the stuff that went down there. Holy crap. That documentary is fucking nuts. Like the stuff that went down there, dude, chills down your spine because it was real too. Um, but yeah, there's like urban legend that like people got out and like went on like not killing sprees, but like a few people went out and like went, did like crazy shit. And I think that's where the uh, the Cropsy urban legend kind of started. But man, it is nuts.
0: Now, to correct me if I'm wrong, but was there also a hook hand involved with this one?
2: I'm not. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen the documentary. I know it's like a couple people like looking into the Cropsy urban legend and like they go back to the state hospital where it all began. I don't know if the the hook hand thing makes a, a appearance in that.
1: I think you're thinking of the uh, the fisherman from uh, I know what you did last summer, Mark.
0: Well, that's true, but uh, in my in my brief brief Google search of the Cropsy urban legend, uh, the hook hand thing kept coming up, and I was curious if Garrett had found anything out about that. No. Yeah, quick Google search doesn't really reveal much at all about the urban legend itself. So I'm glad you saw that and kind of gave us some info on that, Garrett. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, that, that documentary is, it's it's unnervingly bizarre. I would recommend watching it if you've got the stomach for it.
0: Cool. I'll have to put that one on the list. Now, before I uh, did any research, I had no idea this was based on an urban legend, and I thought the name Cropsey was the dumbest name for a villain, maybe of all time.
2: They'll say, ah, Cropsey at my
1: autopsy,
2: for all <laughs> my Bozburgers heads out there.
1: Uh, Mark, just because it's from an urban legend doesn't make the name any, or any less dumb. Urban legend creators... <laughs> Get your shit together.
0: Quirky Burger is crying right now because of you guys.
1: <laughs> Cropsy's is the kind of name you get in like a video game random name generator.
0: Please select the name of your squire. Cropsy. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you try to do like, you know, crap or something and it doesn't work. So now you're trying to be creative. That's, you end up with Cropsy.
0: Or it's a terrible Xbox handle because all the good ones are taken. Cropsy for 2069.
1: Of course. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, this one kicks off. It's a flashback, and it's given us the origin story of Cropsey. And I'm going to tell you, within the first five minutes, I was already rolling my eyes going, okay, come on now. This is silly shit. So what happens is we've got these uh, group of boys who are tired of this camp um, caretaker, maintenance uh, groundskeeper. Apparently, he's kind of a dick, and they're going to play this trick on him. Well, he's in bed, and he's asleep. And these boys take a box over to his bunk and they set this box on his table next to him where he's sleeping and you see one of the kids inside, he lights something in the box and then he goes back outside and they all start banging on the glass window and they're like, finally Cropsy wakes up and he's like, what is that? Oh, it's a skull. It's a gross skull with worms coming out of it with lit eyes, you know, or candles or something. I give him props. I don't know where these kids found this skull, but I thought it was a real fucking skull because it looked like it just got dug out of the ground.
1: Yeah, I assume they killed all the other counselors and that's one of their skulls because these kids are fucking deviants. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
2: laughs> it's definitely like a decomposing head. There's like, like, it looks like rotting flesh still on it. Like, it's not just bone. Like, you think skull, but no, there's actually still like meat on it and there's worms like feeding on the like dirt and meat on this thing. And he put two little votive candles inside the eye sockets and lit them. First off, who picked that fucking thing up? To your point, Mark? Where did they get this rotting head from? Well, they had to rob a grave somewhere, which automatically can't get behind what you guys are doing. And then yeah, they they, they like this fucking head up next to him. And this is the part that really like almost made me lose complete interest in this movie. When Cropsy wakes up, he sees this thing over to his uh, his left on the uh, the table. And then he immediately knocks it onto his lap onto his bed sheet, which then lights him up. I was like, you had to go out of your way to get that to fall into an area where it would have caused you harm. <laughs> it's it's supposed to look like an accident, but... Yes. Uh. It
1: was like watching an infomercial commercial where they're like, you know, the people always trying to do the most easy thing and they fuck it up. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's gotta be a better way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, Mark said, oh, he starts screaming, but he screams for like 25 seconds. I mean, this just isn't a regular adult behavior. He is not how any real person would would react to what just happened to them
0: yes he he self-inflicts his burn like he did it himself he swats it on his bed and then just sits there and lets it consume him but not to be undone or outdone john
1: uh yes he has a can of gas did you already mention that uh that he
0: no i was gonna let you do it because i felt i felt the you the urgency in your voice you wanted to bring up the can of gas <laughs> oh
1: so bad because it's bought who sleeps with a can of gas so right at his feet in regular kicking distance it's a, he was going to kick this off his bed at some point he just has a whole fucking filled up can of gas so in his Comical flailing. He kicks the can of gas over, soaks his legs in the gas, uh, which then, of course, the candle sets on fire. Uh, and now he starts to really panic. And maybe I missed this, Mark and Garrett, or maybe this is just an. How did the rest of them catch on unstoppable flame? Did he roll around in the gas?
0: He just went up, dude. Like he was made of paper mache. <laughs> uh, you mean papier mache? Yeah. Sorry. I mispronounced it.
1: Uh, and to think you were a craft leader, Mark.
0: Oh. Oh, you're right. I know. I fucking blew it. My mentors at the vacation Bible school would be so disappointed right now. <laughs> But, John, don't don't undersell the gas can, right? So it's not on the ground. He's laying in his bunk bed. He's in his bed, and this gas can is somehow level with his bed. It's not on the floor. and it's, it's like on a chair the same height as his bed, and he kicks it into himself. The cap was already off of the can and douses him in the liquid. And the only thing that makes any fucking sense is that Cropsey was huffing the shit and passed out on his bed. That's the only way that that was there.
1: Had to be. Because when the kids start knocking on the glass, they are right near his head and they have to basically pound it. I thought the glass was going to break. Uh, and Cropsey. Well, they start out. They start out tapping it
2: like tap tap and i was like warriors come <laughs> out and play yay and like they they pick up intensity until they're like practically banging yeah. on the window to like dude wake the fuck up we're trying to
1: scare you so i i'm with mark here he must have been high on gas that he was huffing And that also might explain why he the rest of them just caught on fire. He's got that gas in his blood.
2: Well, maybe when he got to the bunk, the gas can called bottom bunk first and he actually just fell asleep on the bottom (laughs) bunk. But yeah, no, I didn't I didn't even notice the gas can until you just said that, John. But yeah, I I remember like I was like because I was like, why did he go up so quick? Holy crap. That makes even less sense. Oh man. Yeah. It's like a comedy of errors that happens to this guy. And let's not victim blame here. These fucking little bastard children decided to take a to rob a grave steal a head and then try to scare this dude who's just doing his job now he may be a dick about it but still he's a he's a groundskeeper i'm sure he's not like getting paid the big bucks at camp blackfoot um but
0: right and garrett you you asked earlier where the fuck did they get that head the only thing that makes sense is this camp is probably butted up right next to camp crystal lake and they pulled out of jason's Voorhees' cabin it's probably (laughs) his mother's head
2: Oh, eight. there it is. There's the connection.
1: Boom.
0: Shared universe. <laughs>
1: uh, but I totally agree. These kids are deviants and they should all be in prison. What the? Like, they, then they run out. The guy's on fire and he runs out and they're like, oh, we should help him. But effectively, they just stand there and watch him burn. They don't go get help, they just all watch him. Monsters. One of the guys goes, there's nothing we can do. Come on, let's go. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck, dude? That
2: man is a a human fireball rolling down a hill at this point.
0: Right, and and the, the movie's late, late game story building that they do reveals that our main character is one of these fucking kids, Todd. Todd was involved in this incident, and they show it play out during the final scene, but that makes Todd... A huge fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. I hate Todd now because of that reveal. There's a scene in the movie where they're sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories. And yes, Todd tells the story of burning up Cropsey like it's a ghost story. (laughs) It's like, bro, you were involved in that what are you doing
2: yeah one disregard for the reality of he literally burned a human alive
1: and he's like okay get this shit you're just like yeah dude you are fucked up tom has no guilt none he went on to live his best life (laughs) and it's almost like rubbing salt in the wound to become a counselor at that same camp (laughs) why did he apply for that job
0: my best memories are at this camp. I want to live here for the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> You'd think he'd move away. Like, what the hell?
2: But this is the absurdity of this movie. I mean, we're having such a good time talking about this scene, this, this crazy horrific scene. This is the level this movie brings the entire time for me. And that's why I, I like it so much, is because it's just so batshit absurd at times. I'm just like, I, I'm i sorry, I'm on board. But let's let's get on with the plot, because um, Cropsy does tumble down a hill as a human fireball into like a little like river. And I was like, Oh, they killed the guy. No, we immediately smash cut to a hospital where, um, a brand new doctor. Well,
1: it would have made a lot more sense if he was a doctor. This guy's like a 45 year old intern.
2: Yes. He's, he's super old. He's, he's bald. He's balding. He looks like he's like in his <laughs> late fifties. And then there's this young orderly. Um, <laughs> who I was all like if he was also starred as a globetrotter in another movie, I would have bought it. Um, he's like, oh, man, welcome to you know this hospital. You want to be a doctor? You got to see some fucked up shit. Come check out this dude. He's super burned. You're never going to be the same after you see this. And I'm like, <laughs> you do not belong here.
1: The orderly calls him like a well-done Big Mac or some shit. And it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah,
2: the bedside manner is non-existent in this place. So... <laughs> This dude takes him in to see it, and uh, the doctors, the I, doctor air quote, is like, I don't know, I, I don't want to go in there. And the dude's like, Oh come on, check this out! Like like it's a circus. He keeps calling him like a freak, like a circus freak. And um, mm-hmm. then he gets his arm grabbed by uh, Cropsy, and you can see like how bad the burns are. This actually literally grossed me out. Oh, we did mention that Tom Savini did some of the um the gore effects in this.
0: Oh, I didn't know he did that.
2: Oh, yeah. Dude, Tom Savini's name's on it. Yeah.
1: Great, great call, Garrett.
2: Yeah. So the the burned arm reaches up and grabs the orderly, and he starts freaking out and screaming like, oh, no. And you see how bad the burns are. Oh, that was so gross how bad the burns were on this dude's arm. Mm-hmm. And so that happens. It fades to black. And I was like, well, that's a weird transition. And then we cut to them. You never see this dude's face. You never see Cropsey's face at all in all these scenes leading up to uh, they're willing him to the exit of the hospital, where a doctor or orderly is like, "Okay, you're free to go. Um, you should just let this go. Don't worry about those kids. Get on with your life. Don't blame them." He, they, he literally tells him not to blame the kids that burned him alive, and um, he's like, "Just get on with your life. Don't worry about it, okay?" And the dude- now, let
0: me just interrupt you. This uh, this particular scene was so fucking weird. And just to back it up a little bit before that when the orderly was handing out tickets for payment to show off the burned man, they talk as if this man's life will never be the same. Right. And he's like limping down the hallway and you just see his legs. Now what cropsy becomes, I don't know how he pulled this off. He, he must've never skipped arm day after he left that fucking rehabilitation period in the hospital. Because he's got superhuman strength. And I was like, did the fire infuse his muscles with like magical power? Because none of it, none of, like the kills don't make sense sometimes.
2: He has the power of a thousand suns, Mark. <laughs> right,
1: yeah. That was one of the main questions I had about this movie is, would not after going through such a horrific ev- event, wouldn't that make you less capable of being a serial killer? Not more capable? His skin would be so sensitive to everything. Well,
2: well, time did pass, you guys, because the thing is, the one of the one of the young teens at the beginning who burned him alive is now one of the adult counselors at this at this camp. Right when the movie actually starts going, so I mean, there's, I mean, he leaves the hospital, but the moment he leaves the hospital, he's in like a black trench coat and an, and a uh, like a detective hat. I don't know how to describe it, but. Um, because I don't know different types of hats. So I'm sorry. It's like a
1: fedora. Yeah,
2: there you go. And he like ends up like hitting on a prostitute, and she's like, come on up. And then she takes him up to her place, and then he gets inside, and this is right after he leaves the hospital, too. Um, he gets inside. Like The first thing he does when he gets out of the hospital is like, I'm going to fuck. <laughs> so he goes upstairs with the prostitute. She's like, oh, don't worry about it. You want the lights off? That's cool. I get some crazy shit in here. You'd be surprised what these guys want. And then he gets close enough in the light where she can see the way he looks. And then she loses her shit. She like goes like, oh, God, no, get away from me. Get out. And it's like, that's never a good way to approach this. Um, and then we get our first kill of the movie. He chokes her. and then, But this is right after he gets out of the hospital. So, yeah, where did he get that strength? Because his, his muscles would have atrophied at least while laying there for the whole time.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Now, let me ask you a question, Garrett. You, 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 you slightly framed this as in Cropsey wanted to fuck. I think Cropsy's only intention was to kill. I agree. Are you saying that you think that he went in to fuck and then when she got freaked out, she was like, no. And he's like, now I'm going to kill you because you made me feel bad. That's what I took. Because
2: I th- the thing is, is, as he's leaving the hospital, like, try to get on with your life. Just, you know, go back to doing anything normal, blah, blah, blah. And I think he was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go bang out this pro and, um, you know, get back to normal as as I do. And then I think when she reacted, um, he was like, "Ah, well, you know what? Fuck this. It's time to it's time to get revenge for all the the stuff that's happened to me. I see that's the way I took it, but you guys think that he went there just to kill the prostitute straight up.
1: Yeah, cuz he didn't talk or anything. I this whole I just assumed he was there to murder. Uh he he was like, "You know what? I got to get my murder practice on before I go kill a bunch of kids." Which actually talking through this, he immediately then goes to the camp, but he doesn't does he know that tommy works there it's todd todd works there because or is he just like i'm gonna kill whatever kids are at that camp right now because that's close enough well between the prostitute scene
2: and i'm I, sorry if there's a, a more appropriate word than prostitute but um between the the prostitute scene and him going to the camp to kill i imagine there's at least um a few years or maybe like a year between that and him going to the camp.
1: We know that there's 5 years between the when he catches on fire and when he leaves the hospital cuz it's or when they yeah, I think that's where they put it up because there is a brief text on screen that says 5 years later.
2: Yes, they're they're big with title cards on on scene changes. Um I don't think it's a lot of time between the the pro scene and um him going to the camp. I'd say maybe like a couple months. Because I mean, you know, I don't think he immediately killed the prostitute. And it was like, well, got to catch a bus. Yeah,
0: <laughs> this goes into my second issue of Cropsey, Other than the once he starts feeling the power of the burn, um, it's the 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 the, mo- the motive, right? Why is he killing who he's killing? He's killing random campers as if all campers are to blame for his current um, disfigurement. Instead, he should be going after the the five. They fucking pranked him, right? I mean, yeah. I get maybe because Todd is there and that's the late game reveal, but what about the other four? You know, just collateral damage.
2: There's no rhyme or reason why he decides he has to take out this entire like semester's campers before he actually gets to Todd. Yeah, no, that didn't make much sense either. And also, I was like, did he already take out the other four? Um, I don't know. Um, that's not let's call that bad writing. <laughs> so
1: before we leave, the The prostitute scene, though, I have to ask. Did any of y'all notice the horrible lightning effect that they cut in there. Oh yes. Yes. That cut that pulled me out of the movie immediately. I laughed out loud. I was like, did that come from like 1950s stock footage?
0: It's like a black and white movie. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid looking.
1: It wasn't even raining.
2: Yeah, like the original the original Nosferatu had better fucking lightning effects than this. It was <laughs> it was so comically like out of place. But yeah, so he kills this prostitute with a pair of scissors. Like he he grabs her and um like, he, she's reaching for this giant pair of, like, you know, shears. And I'm talking, like, 12 inches long. These are huge scissors. Um, and she's grabbing for him, and he grabs them, and then he jams him in her stomach, and he's, like, digging around in there. And we see blood splattering on the mirror. And then he pushes her out the window. She falls out the window of her second floor apartment. And then that's the end of that scene. It was really weird, though, because I was like, okay, cool. we're yeah, We're getting some kills right out the gate. Uh, Let's point out that we don't get another kill in this movie until minute 54. (laughs) Because, holy shit, there's a long period of time where nothing like crazy happens.
1: Not to disagree too much, but there are no kills, but a lot of crazy shit happens. Okay, true, true.
0: (laughs) Right, and now after this scene, we are transitioned back to the campgrounds where we're introduced to 78 main characters. This is another (laughs) issue I have with this movie is there are far too many characters in this movie. Uh, I don't even know any of their names. All I know is there's baby Fisher Stevens. There's 22-year-old Jason Alexander. We get no establishment, really, about what this camp is, why everybody's here, how long it's going for, Who are the camp counselors and who are the kids? I don't know if you guys had that question, but I was asking myself that the whole time. I was like, okay, Jason Alexander, what is he? Is he a camp counselor? Because I know in this movie, he was 21 at the time that they filmed this.
1: I wrote in my notes, are there any adults in this camp? It looked like a camp just run by children. It was Camp Brawless, you guys.
2: I mean, seriously, (laughs) When when we cut to this scene, they're playing softball and um, the girl batting, like, hits the ball and then starts running to first base. And the camera is like, oh, we're just going to keep pace with this chest. Yeah. Every shot after that is a very gratuitous shot of, um, I, I hope they're of all legal age in this film. Well, me too. Because um, there's a lot of up-close, like, tit and ass shots. And then a lot of the the, the teen boys going, "Whoa, I'm going to get some of this. And, um... <laughs> It's so it's so awkward. And yes, like I said earlier, it's this camp is this camp make Camp Krusty look well organized. But yeah, I think there's only like two counselors in the entire place and they're not even present for this scene.
0: No. So you you guys literally looked at all these people and you're like, look how young everybody is. Because I looked at it the exact opposite. I was like, this is a camp for 25-year-old college kids.
1: <laughs> okay, well, what I did was I, what I actually said or thought was, wow, look at all these old people, not old people, but older people trying to play children. Yes. Oh,
0: okay. Yes. Because literally, like I said, uh, Jason Alexander was born in 59. I assume this was filmed in 1980. Right there, he's already 21 years old. Holly Hunter, who has gone on to uh, get some Emmys. She was in Big Sick, 13, a bunch of other, the piano from 1993. She was born in 58. So she was 22. So Garrett, no problems there. I'm pretty sure everybody was well over <laughs> 18 at this point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Well, again, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, yes, there was a lot of like of the, uh, the kids who definitely were too old to be here because I think we did make the comment of like, wow, this is a very old camp. But some of the girls that had to get naked, I was quickly, I was like, oh, God, I hope you're of age. I was like, this is going to be so awkward because I think they're supposed to be playing like, Middle age, well, not middle age, but um high sc- <laughs> middle high school age in the movie. But yeah, they're definitely the age, the age ranges that look like they're all over the place.
0: It is undefined. And that's part of my issue is like, okay, are these attendees? Are they counselors? And then, you know, obviously, Todd appears like the head counselor or whatever. And he's like, their age. <laughs> Everybody is basically the same age in this camp. And then it made me ask myself, what is the cutoff age of camp, and why isn't there summer camp for 40-year-olds? There is. Alamo Drafthouse does that. Oh. <laughs> uh,
1: also, too many injuries, Mark. You see these people playing baseball? Imagine a bunch of 40-year-olds. They'd be hurt knees and backs. And,
2: Good point. Uh,
1: I, I speak as someone who like, I'm trying to imagine myself. I think we could do some math. Okay, so we know that Todd is five years ago was at the camp. Because this is five years later. So let's assume he was 14 because he looked pretty young. He would have to be like 19, 20 tops. And he's the lead counselor. So the rest of the the attendees have to be, I would say, in the 14 to 17 range. Right.
2: Well, that's what the movie is, is trying to lead us to believe. But yes, their actual ages and the way they look does not convey that at
0: all. Right. In story universe, that's how old they should be. In reality, they're all probably older than Todd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as you say, we smash cut to Clamp, uh, clamp Camp Blackfoot again. Um, they don't tell us that, um, this time we just immediately know we're at a camp of some kind. Um, we're watching them play baseball. We're getting a little like feel for how the characters are interacting with each other. And I'll be honest, I know a lot of the events that happen in this movie, but because this movie is so ill defined with like where things take place. I don't know what happens next. All I remember is
0: Well, Cropsy almost kills somebody in the woods.
2: Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, they hit uh well, they're, they're playing the baseball game that you mentioned where they focus in on all the girls playing sports without bras on and the ball gets knocked into the the forest area and she's uh, one of the girls playing outfield goes out to try to find the baseball and we see uh, for oh, okay, this is one thing we didn't mention. Why is Cropsey's main killing weapon, Garden Shears? Because horror
2: writers have a really hard time
0: coming up with stuff that's not completely dumb sometimes. And no offense, I
2: like this movie, but just like I Know What You Did Last Summer and to a lesser degree, the scream mask and uh, you know certain things, I'm just like, oh, fuck, why? Why Garden Shears?
1: So stupid. Whoa. <laughs> the scream mask is iconic. It's iconic, but it's not great. Garden Shears are not, you cannot compare these screen- the garden chairs to the scream mask. Okay,
0: you're right. That is. I, I don't think he's comparing. He's not comparing, but I agree with Garrett. The scream mask is lame.
1: All right, fair enough. I <laughs> will definitely wholeheartedly disagree. <laughs> I, I love
0: scream, but yes,
2: I I just that it's just that that time period, man. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going on a tangent. I do not know Mark, but maybe because he was a. A groundskeeper he just used what but these look like brand new garden shears though like these things were spotless not a not a spot of rust on them
1: they are magically imbued garden shears because what they do (laughs) does not one he must have sharpened both ends because when you get garden shears only the cutting side is sharp not They don't just randomly make the outside of the blade also sharp for maximum <laughs> accident possibilities. Right. Uh, so Cropsey put in some work on those garden shears. Uh, and, you know, I, in the beginning of this podcast, was a little torn on if people should watch this. But, in re- yes, you need to see this movie because we could spend all day dissecting every scene. Like Mark says, they hit the baseball and it went into the woods. But on camera, this lady taps the baseball And then it rolls like two and a half miles. (laughs) (laughs) She
2: bunts it. She literally bunts it. And it's like buried in the fucking woods.
1: (laughs) There's no way that that hit that ball where they showed it.
0: No, there's a lot of continuity issues in this film. Um, There's one I'll bring up later, really close to the end of the film that just I rewound it about seven times going, hold on what is that scene doing right there
2: okay okay yeah so real quick just to kind of like cut through some of the red tape on this there's going to be a lot of scenes that we're going to gloss over where people come really close to almost getting killed and we have um we have killer cam where we see things through cropsy's eyes Mm -hmm. and you can tell because it's got like a little vaseline around the edge of the lens
0: yeah can we just stop and mention that that is like the laziest killer cam I've seen in some time. It was so bad. Smearing some Vaseline on a lens is like so fucking uninspired. Well, this was 81, dude. Really? I mean, I feel like that would have been done in the 60s. The 50s, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably old hat by now.
2: I was okay with it as as long as it didn't tint the film. That's my important thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, no. know there's, there's going to be a lot of scenes we gloss over where people like are, you know, doing something and they almost get killed or um uh, the killer Almost gets them, so we're not going to talk about a lot of those, but um, yeah, there's a ton of that in this film.
0: Yeah, there definitely is a lot of these uh fake outs to the point where they're not even effective, really. Okay, so we we touched on Cropsey's POV killer cam. The other thing that also happens anytime that Cropsey's happening is this weird like audio uh reverb tone, and the camera is moving super super slow. But the problem is, is that they also use that killer cam and sound effect for the fake-out scares. Did you guys notice that?
2: Yeah, they've got to make you think that it's the killer, even though that it's not. But yeah, no, the the Vaseline lens thing. I was like, that should only be a cropsy thing, but it wasn't.
0: Right.
1: Okay. Head cannon. Here we go. This camp is a camp for the visually impaired. Everybody <laughs> sees that way. <laughs> that would explain so much about this movie actually so uh there you go
0: that's why jason's alexander was squinting so hard at that girl's ass he just couldn't make it out
1: <laughs> no he had no idea what
2: he's looking at john you are the hardest working man in hollywood sir <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh yeah so at some point um we can probably just mention you know we're introduced to our main band of characters Most of them are nondescript, right? You've got a group of girls, a group of boys, baby Fisher Stevens and baby Jason Alexander being the only real standouts outside of Todd, except for, and uh, the two characters that are really the problematic ones for me are Glazer and Eddie. Now, Eddie actually starts out to be, I thought he was going to be an okay character, but as the movie progresses, he turns more and more Weinstein and I just ended up really hating him. Yes. Yes. Which one's Eddie?
1: He's the one who basically tried to rape the first person who gets murdered from the camp in the lake where he's like, she's like, no. And then he's like, he just gets so mad at her. And I I was like, this is, I am uncomfortable watching this scene. Ned Eisenberg's character. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I remember now. Um, Yeah, no, those
2: two characters were completely fucking like, what are you doing here? Like, it was so bizarre.
1: You guys make me sick. You ought to try the real thing sometimes, man. Let me tell you that. Glazer walked over from the Grease soundstage (laughs) he just Wandered into this movie Because it was his whole Style of like real Fonzie Grease knockoff that was really Weird
0: I think if you personified The the cliche of the New Yorker that's what Glazer is He's like New York junior
2: yeah Glazer is New York Matthew McConaughey From dazed and confused Yes,
1: exactly.
2: (laughs) He's got this like too cool for School attitude he's got this weird Rapey vibe to him the whole time and but he does talk with his heavy New York accent, which was pretty great. But, um, man, no. And I, are we not going to talk about Alfred, though? Alfred's character was the one that was like the, the peeping Tom character. And they like had to take him to the side and say, like, dude, you've got to stop peeping on people because – the first, I think after the, the baseball scene, we, we get everybody waking up.
1: Yeah, then comes the shower peeping. Yeah. Uh, we get more gratuitous nudity, and it's to you know, like we mentioned, it's another one of those Cropsey pretend scares where uh, one of the ladies, I don't know who, is taking a shower and of course you know we see the whole thing and it's all this tense music and she looks and she sees somebody watching her we think it's Cropsy, really it's Alfred there's a bunch of screaming everyone runs over and then yeah like Garrett was saying Todd's like Alfred what what, are you doing that's really fucking creepy behavior but also he kind of stands up for him because the co-counselor is like dude you gotta do something and Todd's like what do you want me to do cut his balls off Dude, there's some steps between doing nothing and castrating the dude.
2: <laughs> the girls I was watching this movie with were like, Yup. And I was like, Damn. Okay. Calm down.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like the movie was trying to take a stance that look, Alfred was just, he's just kind of weird. He didn't have any malicious intent behind what he was doing because he kept going, like, I just wanted to scare her because I don't have any friends and I was like, well, your your <laughs> math doesn't quite add up there buddy, but yeah. Uh yeah, the movie was just like, please, this is a sympathetic character. He's a he's an outsider who just doesn't get along with anybody. I was like, he was still peeping on a girl in the shower, so
1: they treat it, you know, I think what you're trying to get at, Mark, is the, they treat this as like, oh, boys will be boys. And it's like, man, we've come so far in the last 40 years, thankfully, cuz I feel like we were supposed to just be like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. But in 2020, it does not hit that way. Yeah, that, I mean, that is definitely a crime. Like, you can't just go stare at women showering.
0: He needs to go to back to Porky's.
1: <laughs> All right, so next, after this weird, uncomfortable scene. there's. I mean,
2: as you point out, we were skipping over like a few just normal camp scenes, which is fine because, um, honestly, it's your standard camp watching kids be idiots scenes. But there is one scene, though, where... They're in the uh, the mess hall, and one of the camp counselors is like, all right, some of you guys are going to be going on a, a camping trip for three nights, and you're going to camp out under the stars, yada, yada, yada. They send Woodstock out back to the bunk, and this is where we get another like, killer fake-out scene. But Woodstock, um, Fisher Stevens' character, goes back to the bunk and pulls out this big-ass pill bottle full of pills from this secret like suitcase under his bed. What the fuck were those pills?
0: Yeah, he said something about I need to go back and get my medicine or something. I don't I didn't think it was anything nefarious. Okay. But I can understand why you thought that, Garrett, because Jason Alexander's role in this movie is to be a smut peddler.
2: Yes. Jason Alexander's character is bringing in porno mags and, you know, he's like, "Here, I got your hustle, I got your Playboy." And then they I thought they were going to have a whole like, you know, um Tarantino conversation about the merits of playboy versus hustler. And I was like, I'm in, um, but no, but that scene where Woodstock goes back and gets the pills. I was like, is this fucking like, are they looking to micro dose this whole trip? I was like, <laughs> this could be crazy. I thought this was going in a very weird direction where Woodstock was going to spike everyone on this trip and fucking, they are all going to be like whacked out of their heads. But, um, no, they don't. But cutting back to your point, John, I wanted to bring that up. Cause I was super confused on what those pills were. um, but yeah, cutting back to-
1: I don't even remember that scene. And I don't think they ever mentioned it ever again. Like, he's never like, oh, I need my medicine. Never again.
2: That's why I didn't think it was meds. I thought it was just like, I was like, I'm gonna go get the drugs for everybody. And I was like, okay, cool. We're all gonna take a tab. Yeah. Um, but no, as you said, they're they they they're canoeing down the- um
1: Down a river. And we get introduced to the fact that this movie doesn't cut away from anything. If the characters need to go from point A to point B- it is going to show us the entire travel time.
2: And then it becomes like goddamn pandemonium. <laughs> like you've got canoes ramming into each other. They're having like fucking water fights with the oars. And I immediately I was like, someone's fucking canoes sinking. And I, I, I thought we we're gonna get to that a whole scene without it happening. But sure enough, at the end, someone's canoe sinks. And I was like, yes, like B-5, sink that motherfucking battleship. <laughs> As you said, like five minutes of like, we have descended into madness which even led more credence to my thing like they're all whacked out on fucking pills but <laughs> evidently
1: they weren't apparently this is just how they behave which you know fine I believe if you assume that they're like 16 that is the kind of craziness a 16 year old would do why the camp counselors were also in on this our behavior I don't know, because it's the burning. They just needed to hit their 86 minute runtime is what it came down to. And they're like, we're gonna have to stretch out every single scene to the max.
2: I did notice it was it was right under one uh one thirty. I was like, ooh, John's in.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. This movie does not actually, it does feel long because like Garrett said, you get a kill in the middle and And then long stretches of just like home video.
0: (laughs) I did like the extended scene where they shoot Glazer in the ass with a pellet gun. I thought that was a good scene. That
1: was funny. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because
2: um, Glazer runs up behind um, Alfred's character who can't swim, shoves him in the water. And they're like, you fucking asshole, blah, blah. And then he goes over to this little like floating buoy dock thing in the middle of the lake, which, okay, cool where all the girls are. And he jumps up and he's like, y'all look like a bunch of mermaids. And I was like, Oh boy, here we go. And out of nowhere, we cut back to the, the, the crew on the, the, the shore, and then Fisher Stevens has a fucking gun, and I was—it's a paintball gun, I think. But it like, it like it's like we cut to him hitting on those girls. We cut the glazer hitting the girls, and then we cut back to them like taking aim on the the dock. And I was like, they're gonna kill this motherfucker. I did not know it was a fake gun. I just saw Fisher Stevens had a gun. I was like, this just got dark real quick. And then we find out that it's like a pellet gun or a paintball gun or something. But holy shit, yeah, it shocked the hell out of me when we cut back and he's just taking aim. And I was like, oh my god
0: and then they all moon him so we get to see jason alexander and fisher stevens ass yep so listeners if that's something you're into that's in this movie for you
2: this movie gets three out of four butts <laughs> literally <laughs>
0: specifically
2: absolutely absolutely, huh?
0: absolutely shit man john mentioned the canoes and we watched the entirety of the trip all seven and a half hours of the rowing <laughs> and they're setting up garrett are we like 40 minutes into the film at this point
2: no, we're like 37 minutes into the film. Um, because wait, did you say 40 minutes? Yeah, okay, I don't know why I split hairs and said
1: 37. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm all whacked out on those Woodstock Molly Percocets, okay? <laughs> um, so yes, it's like 40 minutes in because this is where we get the scene where the they're telling the cropsy story. Todd is like, Okay, there's this dude who got caught on fire, as you guys mentioned earlier. But he is so gleeful about telling this. Yeah. And then they have Woodstock stand up from behind one of the campers at the the crescendo of the story with a giant fucking machete and a mask on. I was like, that is super dangerous. Scares all of them. And then they all have a good old laugh of like, ha, 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 ha. But they all stand up and kind of like converge in the middle like they're gonna hug and I was like they're like walking towards the fire I was like if this entire fucking camp group goes up in flames I'm gonna fucking love this movie <laughs> but no they have they share this moment and then the next morning is when um Eddie and um that other girl decide to go skinny dipping and he's like let's go swimming and she's like we don't have any swimsuits and he's like it don't matter to me and he gets full naked and she's like okay cool this was weird though because she gets full naked and it's on. we got bush Like, it's just like, there it is. And she gets in the water, and she says before they get in, okay, but don't try anything. Don't touch me. And he's like, okay, fine. Yeah. She gets in the water, immediately gets up on him, and is like, hold me close. And I'm like, wow, that turned real quick. And then that's where he gets all, like, kind of, like, rapey and tries to make a move and then she freaks out and she's like fuck
1: you i'm out of here yeah i mean it's hard to like read someone's intentions right but i'm wondering if maybe eddie just moved too fast and scared her off because he went from zero to rape in like three seconds uh and she's just like no no and then finally she's like no stop and he does uh barely contains his uh inner rapist this whole scene was terrible it added nothing to the movie
2: yeah she well it allows for a kill later but like she she says before they get into the water she's like hey look you're always bragging about how many girls you've done it with i don't want to be just another statistic so i would not be surprised if eddie had rapey tendencies out the gate so it didn't seem completely out of character when he got like that but yeah it it escalates real quick she gets out of the 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 river at this point puts on her boots nothing else which I was like, well, that's not not ideal.
0: Well, her clothes were taken.
1: Yeah. Cropsey, being the prankster that he is, took all of her clothes and- That scamp. Yeah. Just threw them on trees everywhere. And so she's like following her clothes, essentially, to her doom.
0: Late late game uh, update, fellas. I just went back and watched a four-second scene- Where Jason Alexander and Fisher Stevens are sitting in the mess hall and Woodstock, aka Fisher Stevens, says, I need to go back to camp and get my vitamin E.
2: Okay. So they're talking about
0: Molly, right? Ecstasy.
1: Did they call Molly vitamin E back then?
0: No. I literally think he's talking about his vitamins. Oh. He's going to get his Flintstone kids vitamins.
2: I was like, that explains why everyone's getting naked and trying to fuck everywhere because everyone's on fucking ecstasy at this camp, yo.
1: Garrett, I'm going with your head cannon. Everyone's high as fuck in this movie. <laughs> it, it, also, high as fuck and visually impaired. Now it all makes <laughs> sense. This camp's got some real problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably true.
2: So this is where we get our first, um, our first kill in a long ass time because I have a note, and it's like 45 minutes in. We've only had two kills. So, yeah, she is running around naked. She finally finds uh, a shirt or pants or I don't know what the fuck. Fel- she finds something. Yeah, she gets her throat slit. And Eddie gets back on shore and falls asleep. This is weird because now we cut to um, Gravy. Um, wait, what's his name? Gra- gravy? Gravic, Garrett. Glazer? glazer
0: gravy (laughs) i I wish his name was gravy
2: (laughs) young gravy um so we we cut to a scene now where uh glazer i almost called him gravy again (laughs) um where glazer and another camp girl are getting down and fucking and they clearly just they, they do they're fucking and he finishes so quick and she's super upset and like bothered by it she's
1: like don't worry about it (sighs) ah no that happens later i mean not that it really matters but it that happened the next scene is they all wake up and can't find the canoes
0: they kept asking eddie where the hell is karen and where the fuck are the canoes and he's like i don't know i slept over here by this river i don't know maybe karen took all five canoes away i was (laughs) like um what
1: yeah, that's that's their working theory is that Karen took all the canoes and went back because Eddie made her upset.
2: Yeah, I love loved that line. It was um, there's there's some great lines in this movie. She um, was like, well, she did have permission to go back to the camp in case anything awkward happened.
0: Can you just stop and analyze what you just said and what the movie said? It said, in case Eddie becomes rapey, you can go back to the camp. And that's all that we're going to do about this. (laughs) Are you serious?
2: They said in case anything awkward or uncomfortable happens, you have a right to go back to camp. But it does sound like they were putting that fucking contingency clause there. In case shit gets a little rapey or weird, everyone's got the right to come back. And it's like... I, I, oh man, it's like when those CEOs have those like you're allowed 3 like sexual misconducts in your contract. It's like what the fuck? Just don't plan
1: for that. <laughs> like prevent that. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. We're here to prevent this shit, not like, well, if it happens, we've already made plans in case.
1: It's children watching children, man. That's what's going on in this cam- in this in this camp right now. There are no functioning adults. In this whole movie.
2: So what happens now is um, they're like, okay, well, fine. We've got to find a way to get back to camp. So let's all split up. You guys go look for Eddie and um, whatever her name is. And then we'll go look for wood so we can fashion a raft. And that's where they, like, ask Eddie, like, where is she? He's like, I don't know. She just left. Uh, I was – maybe I came on a little strong. He says that as if he, like, doesn't know what he did.
1: Right. Maybe, Eddie. Yeah, just maybe,
2: maybe a Eddie. tad, bro. Uh, and so the next – we smash cut back to them having Gilligan's Island a raft, like, in 20 minutes. <laughs> and they've got, like, 10 kids on it. They're like, we're going to go back to camp and see if we can uh, – See if we can find Allison or whatever her name is. And um, the other kids are staying there. Also, did you guys notice that every shirt Jason Alexander had, it was different shirts each time, had the number 96 on it?
0: No. No, I didn't.
2: Yeah, he had like two different raglans with like 96 on it. And then he had another one that was like a solid raglan hmm. with 96 on it. I was like, yo, what is your weird obsession
1: with that number? <laughs> so maybe that's his old high school number
0: he's like 69 but backwards
1: (laughs) oh he's like on camera it'll flip it little does he know
0: (laughs) the span of time when they're trying to find the original canoes and decide to makeshift a fucking raft which i don't think anybody has the ability to do
1: they explain it he was a boy scout mark he got his raft building badge todd was right Right. Yeah. So he can instantly craft a ten-person cruise ship. Because
2: the 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 other the the adult female camp counselor, there's there's two adults. There's um Todd and then there's the the adult lady, and she goes, "Thank God for the Boy Scouts." And I was like, "This is weird." I was like, (laughs) "This is getting real awkward, real quick here."
0: My absolute favorite scene is a throwaway scene, and it happens during this period of trying to look for the canoes and rafts. One of the girls picks up an empty milk carton and goes, Hey, what about this?
2: What about that? What do you expect? This looks like a houseboat for ants or something. What?
0: It floats. It floats, huh? Dave told I'm you. Come, Jane, we seek wood. It's like, what are you, an idiot? Are you an idiot? Are you going to put that in the raft? A piece of plastic. Trash.
1: And Jason Alexander, being the dick that he is, just takes it and throws it into the fucking lake.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that scene. I was like, that was so dumb. Anybody uh, should know.
1: Right. The, the raft scene also has my second favorite scene of the movie, which is we see them slowly fucking canoe back with these shitty paddles for like 15 minutes it feels like forever and eventually they s- it takes so long
2: they're going downstream and it looks like they're (laughs) losing ground and I'm like this is this is talent like you guys are the water's literally like going in their direction and it looks like they're slowly making less progress and that they just weren't oaring at all oaring I mean rowing god Um,
1: (laughs) this movie man is so great
0: now I I do have to I, I have to challenge that just a little bit Garrett because of what happens in the movie later I think they're going upstream because later on the raft appears back in front of our group of uh, uh, stranded campers. Okay. All right. Well, then-
1: I can see why Garrett would think that though, because the waves don't make any sense.
2: They, they're moving so slow. <laughs>
1: and they eventually see a canoe. Yes. And they start going toward it. And instead of one person jumping out, swimming to the canoe and coming back with the canoe, they slowly take their <laughs> whole raft to the canoe. And to Garrett's point, it felt like the canoe was getting further away (laughs) than they were. (laughs) Yes. I can't even talk about it. It's like
0: that Monty Python scene. It was like a Holy Grail when he's like running at the castle and he just like further and further away each time they cut to him.
1: I can't even talk about it. It looks like the canoe is floating away faster than they are rowing to it. It's insane.
2: But this is where the movie makes up for it because this is about 58 minutes into the movie. And this is where the movie's going to make up for all the kills that we haven't gotten at this point. Because what happens when they get right next to that canoe? Cropsy stands straight up and starts slashing away with his garden shears. And he kills each person in a single slash like one goes into the neck one goes slashed across the face one slashes across a girl's forehead and looks like her skull flips up yeah um
1: what happened there
2: (laughs) I do not know garden (laughs) shears are not this deadly even if they're open they're not this deadly like it it cut through her skull like a samurai sword
1: he cut that girl's skull just wide open
0: and and I think it's also important to notate the order of characters on the raft. So in the front we have Eddie and Fisher Stevens, then two girls, and then some random guy in the back in a white shirt. The first one to get killed is the one at the back of the raft.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: The kid in the white shirt. That doesn't make any sense.
2: Well, him standing up in a <laughs> canoe and not tipping over doesn't make any sense cuz he we're not saying he like gets up. He pops up as if he jumps up on a springboard. And then, yes, he's within arm's reach of everyone on this giant raft that's got six people on it with space to go around. And um, yes, he kills every single one of them. He cuts off Fisher Stevens' fingers, and we get some great blood spurt at this point. Um, but yeah, he takes out everybody and insane. But that movie, that scene right there made up for like all the kills we hadn't gotten yet.
1: What I think happened is they wrote the script and they realized, like Mark said, holy shit, we have like 75 characters. We're going to need to kill them off by the boatload now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My other thought when they found this canoe, uh, first off, I thought Dead Karen was going to be in it. Me too. Good job, movie, for having the killer in the canoe. Uh, My second thought was, Okay, so what are they going to do? Split up and then the people left on the raft will not go anywhere because they've been paddling for so long and they've made maybe an inch of ground. Yes. Oh god. My <laughs> thought
1: was, what was Cropsy's plan? He was just laying in a abandoned canoe.
0: He was hoping for the best. <laughs> He knew they were gonna build a raft. Like somehow he had that insider information.
1: Yeah, like I guess he knows Todd so well. He's like Todd's gonna have him build a raft, and I'm gonna be ready for that. <laughs> Maybe he was in the Boy Scouts with Todd. <laughs> oh, there's some backstory. That's his. That's his uh, troop leader.
0: Ooh. So God.
1: So, so the next scene is the scene that I got confused about earlier.
2: That we we now cut to. Um, Oh God! I must call them gravy again. Um, <laughs> Glazer, <laughs> Glazer um, having sex with that girl, and he finishes
1: instantly. And while they're fucking, that girl is straight savage. She's like, I wrote two lines. First, when he's done, she goes, "That's all." And then, yes. she's like, "Oh, I'm uh, cold. You didn't do much to warm me up." I was like, "Damn, dude." She was so polite about it too. Like, I didn't catch the second
2: one until like I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh." wow she just ripped into him and i was like but to be fair this dude put no effort i mean mm-hmm. he literally is like a you know like three pumps and he's like hey we're good i'll see you later and it's like dude calm the fuck down I, but no he says that he's going to go back to camp and get a get some fire he's going to get the matches to start a fire out here um but while they're fucking let's not forget that um alfie or alfred is peeping on them creeper man alfred wakes up from the sleep he, like, is watching them fuck and seeing this go down. So Alfred knows that Glazer's with this girl. And then he sees that Glazer's getting up, and he, like, runs back to camp. And um, Glazer comes back. And at this point, though, Cropsy has killed the, uh, the girl. Um, I don't remember exactly how I think he puts it.
1: He stabs her in the chest. Yeah, stabs her in the chest. You know
0: what I think the movie needed to do? Alfred ends up becoming one of the last characters left alive and kind of, um, they, they almost put him like he's going to be on this redemption path, right? He, he peeped on the girl. Maybe he's a little awkward, but he's going to come up and be the hero at the end, right before Glazer does his one pump chump shit. He's, uh, he's busy getting very aggressive with this girl, Sally. Like he keeps unzipping her sweater. She zips it back up and he's like, no, no, no. Glazer's time is now, you know, he's, he's being almost as aggressive as Eddie was those, you know, a few scenes prior. And that's when Alfred's watching this. So I half expected there to be a point where Alfred goes up and confronts Glazer and said, you know, kind of redeems himself, like, Hey, stop being such a fucking aggressive punk, you know, but we don't get that at all.
1: Hey, you, get your damn hands off. Oh. I think the difference between Glazer and Eddie's scene, though, is Sally seemed more receptive to it. Like, it seemed more playful than what was going on in Eddie's land. Uh, which I guess makes sense because they do eventually smash. But, I mean, it does feel a little uncomfortable, but she seemed more receptive. Like, it was a two way street, less Eddie style.
2: True. I'll give you that. Glazer's already on his way back with the matches, mm-hmm. gets there and then he gets killed by Cropsy.
0: As he's pulling the sleeping bag back, that's when he gets stabbed in the gut with the shears. I guess like Cropsy was in the sleeping bag? Oh, uh, that is ex- I was like what the fuck is this scene?
1: That explains a note I wrote that I didn't have any context for, which is just he loves the ambush. Cropsy loves the ambush, uh, cause he ambushed him on the canoe, ambushed him on the in the sleeping bag.
2: (laughs) And this kill was awesome, where the uh, the shears go in his stomach and like pins him up against the tree, and it was like, man, it was a really
0: cool kill.
1: I, you know, I respect that.
0: (laughs) And like Garrett said, he he, it's a really good kill. But now I have to bring in the questions of the strength of a burn victim who can. Stab a guy with garden shears, lift him up with his biceps, and walk him back to a tree. And I'm like, that's not possible. It's just not possible.
2: He's the John Rambo of summer camps. What can you do?
1: I'm thinking about the joint on those garden shears. They got a bunch of cruft in them. (laughs) Maybe he's got some industrial high quality ones, but I feel like he's going to have some trouble opening and closing that when that blood starts to rust up those shears.
2: You guys, through the power of motivation, anything is possible. If you want it bad enough, you're going to make it happen. You got to will it, baby. You got to see it, visualize it, and make it happen.
0: And you know what, guys? I think we might have missed where the I think he gets him in the neck so that goes back to our fright night like neck strength you know what I mean like I don't. I don't think that would happen.
1: Yeah. No. I don't think so either. Well,
2: every time he kills with them, they're brand new. They're like perfectly clean, like they've never been used before. And there was a scene earlier in the movie where he stabs them in the tree and then leaves them completely bloody. And then he has them again later on. I'm like, did he go back and forget that he stabbed at the tree, or did he? <laughs> does he have backup shears?
1: He's got a five pack. You don't. You know, he bought them in bulk. You save money. <laughs> uh, uh, Cropsy is frugal he didn't have a lot of money so I, I get that you know
2: this right here though is now my one of my absolute favorite moments from this movie so alfred and um todd are running back to uh where um oh god, i almost called him gravy again <laughs> gravy and sally were killed and um they see you know todd's dead or they see uh glazer's dead body and todd's like oh my god and cropsy swings the shears and barely just barely nicks the, the 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 temple of todd's head and todd goes down like he got fucking hit by a goddamn like wrecking ball uh. like a little tiny cut knocks todd cold out and then alfred at this point starts running and um Cropsy's now basically gonna try to get um <clears throat> he's gonna try to get um alfred uh, alfred
0: and i think this unfortunately this this chips away at the motivations of Cropsey, because if he knew Todd was the counselor, he knows Todd was one of the pranksters, he would have stayed and just stabbed Todd over and over and over again to ensure that Todd was dead. So this just says that he doesn't give a shit about the kids that actually burned him.
2: Let me pose this. Only if you think about it at the end, where you talk about where Todd realizes that Cropsey is the same Cropsey and Todd was part of it, I think Todd's having that realization, not Cropsy. I think Cropsy's just like, I'm gonna go back to camp and fuck up anybody who's there. I don't know if he knows that Todd is the same
1: guy. Y'all, I I just thought of this. Well, you're explaining Cropsy is the dude's actual name. So when Todd was telling this fucking story, he knew it was about the duty set on fire. It's not like the name changed. The guy's real name is Cro wow, Todd is such a dick. He holy shit. He was like, y'all, get together. Let me tell you how I almost killed somebody.
0: No, that's what I was saying at the beginning of the episode. Todd's a (laughs) fucking piece of shit.
1: Yeah. (laughs) whole Todd is a sociopath.
2: One could argue that Jason Alexander, the smut peddler of this camp, is the most, like, moral and good character here. (laughs) Yes. With the exception of the girls who are just trying to do their thing. But, you know. Yep. Man. The crew that was like left on the shore after the um <laughs> the the raft crew went away, the raft comes back and they go out to get it. And they're like, oh, hey, we'll swim out and get that raft. Where is everybody? And they get to the raft and then they see everyone's dead mutilated body on it. Mm-hmm. They all freak the fuck out at this point. And then across the, the river, out of nowhere, Todd wakes up from his slight cut and <laughs> runs down to the shore. And has an axe all of a sudden. I don't know where he the fuck got that axe. But he has an axe. And then he's yelling at the people on the other side. He's they're like, oh, my God, they're dead. And that's when he's like, oh, my God, I got to go save Alfred. So that sends Todd, Alfred, and Cropsy on their little, like, you know, B
1: plot. And my favorite scene in the whole movie takes place in a few minutes after this raft comes back because... It is an amateur film thing. So the raft comes back. Everyone's all dead. Uh, the The group of people who didn't go on the raft, everyone basically except for Alfred and Todd, go on the raft, paddle back to camp. Thankfully, we don't have to watch this in real time. They get to camp, and finally we see some adult figure standing up like on a deck, right? And the lady counselor is like, call the authorities. You know, there's a killer out there. And he's like, what are you talking about? And we see her run from the dock to the house around the house and up the stairs the whole thing takes like 30 seconds there's no dialogue no music it is just watching someone go upstairs and i thought in any real movie they would have cut away from that yes uh, but that is my favorite scene in the whole movie <laughs> but why did she go back to the camp though i don't remember why she did she was going to get the police, because later, oh, it never yeah. really pans out, but later in the movie, we see them going back in a little motorized canoe, and she's it's like, a, oh. It's a, a motorboat, a, you mean?
0: A motorized <laughs> canoe? <laughs> a motorized, a motorized
1: Yeah, canoe. that's what I meant. What? Look, this movie uh, is making my brain mush. We are pretty far into recording at this point, uh, but- uh, motorized canoe. You know what I mean.
2: <laughs> John's got the same stamina as Gravy. <laughs> he can't exactly. go for very long. Glazer. Glazer. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> just, uh, anyway, uh, so we're, we're now in the final scene of this movie uh, because we now cut back to uh, Todd, who's going to find Alfred in Cropsey. Alfred runs across this abandoned, like, concrete building that's just been, like, decimated. It's like ruins of some building. I don't know what that fuck that building was out in the middle of nowhere, but this place is huge. It's like a mining facility or something. Yeah. He's lost in it. Like the chick from labyrinth when they start moving the bricks around, he's running like circles and Alfred, (laughs) Alfred poor, bless his heart. Alfred is just a fucking idiot. (laughs) Um, So
0: (laughs) yeah. And we do need to mention the movie lets us watch like five minutes of Alfred running away from a burn victim. Mind you. And somehow Cropsy is in front of him and catches him by the throat. So does he have like teleportation abilities like old Jason Voorhees or what?
2: No, I think I think Alfred has been running donuts in circles and figure eights in this facility. He's lost. He's a <laughs> fucking idiot. And Cropsey's like, well, I'll just take my time. I'll get there by the time this idiot figures out how to leave any of these giant holes that get him out of this structure.
0: I also thought maybe Cropsy has a truck that we don't get to see. And he just hops in it and drives down a little ways and gets out. That
1: would explain a lot. Like, how does he get there? get to where the campers are the first time they all had to take a boat how does he get from the canoe back yeah uh he doesn't have any oars
0: yeah he he's somehow gone from the canoe where he murdered five people back to the stranded campers downstream i assume a few miles away in
1: like 10 minutes
2: yes it's so it's it's definitely horror like logic, but um, it works. We still haven't seen Cropsy's face at all, but we see his gloved hand reach around the corner, grab um, Alfred, takes him into this mining room, like pins him against the wall, like lifts him up, puts him against the wall and then uses his his shears to pin Alfred's arm against the wall. So he just jams him into the wall. So it's kind of like scissor locked into the wall. But Alfred cannot pull these shears out of the wall, and I was like, "You fucking wuss! If you can't pull like these barely punched in the wall like trimming shears, just you deserve to die at this point."
0: And there's also real no real explanation on why Cropsy didn't just end him right here. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's nothing in the film like it's not like Alfred. So Todd comes in at some point. And he's like, "Alfred, Alfred," you know, giving away his position like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but Alfred never answers him. So it's not like he was using him as bait to draw in Todd. It's just like, here, I'm going to stick you to the wall and I'll deal with you later.
2: Well, remember, Alfred did have a, a gag in his mouth. He like had a belt or something like gagged in his mouth so he couldn't talk or yell.
0: Well, I know. But still, that doesn't that doesn't give Cropsey a uh, per uh, reason to let Alfred live because he doesn't use him as the bait in any meaningful way.
2: Oh, I agree. Which then leads cred- credence to the fact that maybe he did want to kill Todd specifically, but then that's never been established. God, Cropsey. This-
1: I, I got it. Y'all, I'm here to help. Okay. Cropsey. Who has been watching Alfred watch and creep on everyone else is like, man, that is a kid after my own. He reminds me of a young Cropsy. That's what Cropsy would say. And so he saved Alfred. Protege. Exactly. Are
0: you saying he's gonna he's gonna groom the next Cropsy?
1: Bingo. He's like, it is exhausting to have to kill a boat full of kids and then run back over here to kill some more kids. I need like a a Robin. All right. So Alfred. Is to be Cropsey's Robin, his sidekick.
0: Okay, I'll give it to you, Burnt Man and Crispy Boy, <laughs> a
2: Croplet, if you will. Um, so, at this point, Todd is is walking through this this giant mine facility, and he looks up this ramp. And at the very top of the ramp, there's at the bottom where he is, there's a mine cart filled with like debris. That's debris for those who don't know. Um, and at the top of this ramp is another empty mine cart. And then the the one up top gets pushed and starts rolling down towards Todd and it's going to smash him unless he gets out of the way. That is the quietest rusty fucking minecart. <laughs> that thing makes not a peep until it's about to hit Todd. He jumps out of the way. So at this point we now know that Cropsy is knows that Todd's there and it's about to go down. Todd's got an axe and then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, we see a flamethrower light up. <laughs> And this made me laugh so fucking hard because I was like the burn victim who spent most of his life in the hospital at this point or a big chunk of his life in the hospital at this point because of fire is going to use a flamethrower. I was like, that's ballsy. I got to give it to him.
0: I absolutely expected that the only burning of the movie, The Burning, would have been in the first five minutes. I thought we were going to get to the end without any more fire. Oh no, oh no, he's got a flamethrower at this point.
1: Where? Where did this flamethrower come from? He had to have it on
2: him the whole time because there's no way he would have known they would have ended up at this place. <laughs> and also, flamethrowers are not standard equipment at a mine facility, so.
1: No. <laughs> It's, I guess, proto-video game logic, right? Really, before video games kicked off, he just had it in his inventory.
2: <laughs> well, speaking of video games, <laughs> this final scene basically just becomes the Fury fight from Metal Gear Solid 3, where you basically run through a, a giant complex, getting away from the guy with a flamethrower. Todd and Cropsy end up having their little, like, throw down at each other. At this point, do we see Cropsy's face at this time?
0: Yeah, the only time it uh, really happens is in this scene. Um, but this is also right after the mine car... I think Cropsy grabs him by the face and throws him through the wall. Yes. And Todd falls on his back. And then he gets up and he's most 100% definitely standing up, looking around. And then we have a continuity issue. They show a scene and they cut to Todd on the ground grabbing his axe. And that's the scene I rewound seven times going, <laughs> hold up, who's grabbing that axe? Todd's already up on his feet. And yeah, I was just like, okay, that's a, that's a failure of the continuity editor, director, whoever's in charge of that shit.
2: Once he gets up and is looking around, you notice that the mine cart that came down at almost random earlier is back up at the top of the ramp again. So I was like, there's a couple of continuity issues in that scene, but... It's fucking hilarious.
1: But Mark, uh, the person who edited this movie didn't watch that scene seven times. (laughs) So uh, you got one up on them.
2: You've done more work than he did. Yeah.
1: Is it before the acts or after where we get the 10 minutes of flashbacks? It's
2: during. It's during. Yes.
1: During. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this whole scene's intercut with just random flashbacks not just to like the beginning of the movie right but just to s- random scenes in the movie. What a weird movie this is.
2: Well, I think I think this is where Todd's putting it all together like, "Oh my god, this is Cropsy, Um cuz he keeps like flashing back to like events that he's been part of or he's had privy to. Mm. So, um so I think this is Todd figuring it out, like the whole, like, oh, my God, it's Cropsey. And he's swinging his axe at the flame, not at the, the gun, not at Cropsey himself, just at the flame, which I'm like, well, that's <laughs> just dumb as shit. Also, <laughs> if a guy's swinging an axe in the flame of your, your flamethrower, just pull the trigger at that point. Burn them. Right. Y- your, your, your flamethrower literally shoots flames, <laughs> but he doesn't do it. It's in the name.
1: It throws flames. <laughs>
2: He knocks the gun out of the hand of uh, Cropsy, And this is where we see Cropsey's burned face. And this was an incredible Savini effect. Like, mm-hmm. the fa- he looked like Nemesis from Resident Evil 3. Like, it was so cool looking.
1: Yeah. Considering the, like, I imagine what the budget of this movie must have been, this face, like, this whole mask and effects work was awesome. I was really impressed by it.
0: Alfred unpins himself finally, and then he runs at Cropsey while Todd is flailing around on the ground, unable to do anything, <laughs> not stand up, not roll around, just sit there and look bewildered. And then Alfred comes from behind and gets Cropsy with his own gardening shears in the back. Cropsy falls to the ground. They stand up and go, well, job well done, Alfred. Let's go ahead and get the hell out of here. Let's not check the body. Let's not make sure he's dead. Uh, why would we? It's not like he's a murderer or anything, and this isn't uh, going to be an obvious setup for one more jump scare. <laughs> they turn around, they start walking out of the mine cart, and whoa, oh guess who's not quite dead? Cropsey. Cropsy. If, if, if you didn't catch my drift. <laughs> I,
1: I would have liked if Todd had turned to Alfred and been like, sure glad you were peeping this time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> About a perfect line. He turns
2: around, he jump scares him, they axe him in the head, which then pins him against a wooden beam, and that's where Alfred grabs the flamethrower and doesn't, like... He just kind of gently like lays it at the feet of Cropsy, and then catches them on fire, and they burn Cropsy again. Poor Cropsy. Fucking Alfred's the most feckless person, and he's like, he doesn't even have like, like I'm gonna get revenge for this. He's just <laughs> like, I'll just place this right down here and hope that he catches on fire. And it's like, dude, <laughs> fucking commit to anything in your life other than peeping on girls. Um, but yeah, so they they Cropsy's left to burn in this empty abandoned mine facility with wooden beams, so that's not going to be a huge problem.
1: Cropsy can't catch a break though what are the odds of being set on fire twice in your lifetime not good but man no
0: (laughs) i think we found the origin of the silent hill fires that were burning deep in within the earth for 50 years
1: (laughs) oh there we
0: go
2: there's a lot of video game references in that episode i like it um but yeah so now we cut to another camp counselor who's now telling the entire story of cropsy uh, now I couldn't tell, was this the, one of the, uh, the campers from earlier, the little blonde kid, like now as a, as a counselor telling the story,
0: I don't think there was any connection, Garrett. I think we were just supposed to take away that this is now an urban legend that will be told and passed from generation to generation of the, the burning cropsy, uh, you know, story.
1: I thought this whole movie was the story that camp counselor was telling his group of children. So, like, none of this happened, and it was all an urban legend.
2: Oh, interesting. I didn't take it that way. I took it the way Mark did. I thought this was, like, because shit kept happening. It just kept getting, like, like tribal knowledge passed down. But you're saying this was all just a camp counselor's story from start to finish from Cropsy knocking the skull on himself to everything that happens yeah so that means that camp counselor took the time to basically like and then Alfred snuck into the shower it <laughs> was totally peeping on Sarah and yo Eddie was all rapey and shit I mean well I don't know John I like your I like your concept but
0: <laughs> yeah John you you want me to believe that this guy made up This dude made up the part where Jason Alexander hands one guy a Playboy and the other one gets a Hustler and then they argue about it for two seconds.
1: (laughs) As is often the case in these kind of storytelling movies, I assume the camp counselor told it in generalities and the movie fills in the details. No, I don't think he actually was was given it step by step.
2: I would love it that camp counselor was that detailed about everything. And it's like, and then it was 3.34 p.m. And they were in the mess hall. And that's when the camp counselor said, hey, guys, I know some of you are going on a trip tomorrow. (laughs) Like, this is amazing, John. I love that concept, but you're wrong.
1: But think about it. It makes a lot of the... The ridiculous things in this movie make some sense. Like how did Cropsey kill a boat full of kids? How did he get from the canoe back to the, you know, the land? Why is there a mine in the middle of a campground? If it's all just a story, it may, you know, okay, this, this guy's just telling a, uh, story full of plot holes
0: well if that's what you need to make the movie better then that's a okay by my point they didn't specifically say one way or another but that's a that's a fine interpretation if you want
1: it (laughs) i'm gonna run with that
0: That's the end of the movie. Uh, This one was shot on a $707,000 budget and made $1.5 million, so it wasn't much of a success. Like I said, it was right in the middle of the the summer camp phase, and I think it is one worth watching. It's crazy. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a good popcorn flick um, that uh, if you can get past the whole Weinstein thing, um, it's worth checking out well here's
2: some uh some fun little uh trivias too about this one tom savini turned down doing friday the 13th part two to work on this tom savini also was not particularly happy with the cropsy burn makeup as he was only given three days to work on it
1: oh wow because i thought that was like some of the best parts of the whole movie
2: yeah rick wakeman was originally offered a percentage of whatever profits the film made but he had decided to opt for a fee instead as he felt the film had no chance of being successful
1: good decision there yeah
2: the film ended up being the biggest grossing horror movie in Japan at the time. Wow! Oh. I was right; they did rub Vaseline on the camera for the uh, the cropsey povs.
0: You know, that just makes me wonder. Uh, nothing to do with this movie in particular, but I would, I want to know what Friday Two would look like if Savini had been on part of that project instead of jumping on the burning.
2: Hmm. That's uh, that's a really good question.
0: It's one of the better ones of the twelve, uh, in my opinion. Um, so I, I can imagine only be that much better. But anyway, it sounded like we'd all recommend this film uh, to some varying degrees. I think Garrett enjoyed it the most. I thought it was fine, and John maybe a little less than fine. But uh,
1: yeah, I thought it was a very fun movie. I mean, I don't think that's what they were going for, but that's what they accomplished. Uh, it was fun to watch.
2: Yeah, you guys know I love a good '80s like horror movie, and this had this hit all of the check boxes for me. Um, you know, we got a little nudity, we got some violence, we got some like just outrageously dumb, makes no sense, like story beats, Um, just some amazing shitty like lines in the movie as well. Some of the dialogue was just astoundingly bad. And I love that. Um, So, I mean, I recommend this movie in the fact that like, if you want a fun, if you've like like, to Mark's point, if you've watched the other, the big name camp movies, yo, you can't, you can't go wrong with the
0: burning. Absolutely. Well, anything else you want to add on the burning?
1: I think I've said my piece.
0: Well, that wraps up this episode. Listeners, have you seen The Burning? Let us know what you thought about the movie on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find all things Grave Talk at gravetalk.com. Hit us up with any recommendations or let us know of anything you want us to talk about. We're happy to pepper those in with our normal schedule. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.